Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited. I have a cold today, but we are, but I am not going to not let this episode happen because I'm so excited. My friend Jen McGraw is on and Jen has the podcast, The Restored Mama, and she is on my doTERRA team. We've known each other for how long now, Jen? A couple years at least. Has it already longer. been? I think so. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. So we met kind of through the podcasting world, but every time that we talk, we're just kind of like, yep, yep, yep. We, we agree. And Jen is really passionate about helping mamas that are overwhelmed. And you know that you get a lot of that here on the well podcast. And she's going to share some tips today. She has been kind of derailed by a lot of things coming at her and she helps mamas get restored partly by juggling all of the things. So Jen, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm so excited. So I love to get to know, for me, I don't believe a word anyone says unless I kind of know them, you know? So true. (laughs) I'm like, you have to get to know somebody and know their kids, at least their ages, kind of where they live to, to kind of build that passport to let them in. So Tell everybody about you. Where do you live? How many kids do you have? I am 37 now. I have five kids. Three of them I have given birth to. Two of them are my stepdaughters. So we have an 18-year-old who's living with us and going to Boise State University. We're here in Idaho. And then we have a 16-year-old. She lives with her mom, but she comes and visits during the long, long breaks. And then 10-year-old, which is my biological daughter, And then we have two boys between the two of us. So we have a two-year-old and a five-month-old. So we had one right after the other. That I've known you two years because I think the two-year-old was like just born, or he was like yeah. I was either yeah, I was either like at the end of my pregnancy or he had just gotten born. I think. Oh my gosh! And now you have a whole other baby. A whole other baby. (laughs) (laughs) It goes fast. So, so we've got a nice big family. It's fun. Yes. Well, and we we also bonded because of blended families. We've had good talks yes. about that and everything that that brings in. And I bet you that's why you and I are so passionate about helping moms that are overwhelmed because it's overwhelming <laughs> to have different schedules and to have people coming and going. I don't always even know how many to cook dinner for at night. You're late. <laughs> right there with you. I when we're done here, I'm going to be messaging the 18 year old to see if she's going to be home for dinner so I can cook enough food. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit more. How did you become so passionate about helping moms that are overwhelmed? Oh well, it all started. I started out being a single mom the moment my daughter was born. Um, it was just me. It was one of those one night stand situations. I made some poor choices, but it ended up being the best thing that happened to me. Like she's absolutely amazing and I wouldn't change it for the world, but it was definitely an overwhelming situation. I just wasn't expecting it. Wasn't planning. It wasn't how I expected to bring a child into the world. Um, But I became a single mom and I decided to go back to school and I had to work. And so just juggling school and work and a child on my own, thankfully I had family and friends around to help, but it's still hard. And so I think that was what started the whole overwhelm because I was just thrown into this, this family dynamic without actually having somebody to do family with, if that makes any sense. And 
I didn't have organizational systems in place to be able to actually function as a parent and do all these other roles because I just wasn't prepared for it. And I had no idea what to expect really. And so when, when I became a single mom and I started doing all the things, I just was kind of surviving. And by the time I got to bed every night, I was just completely overwhelmed. And I cried a lot, just to be real. I cried a whole lot. Um, I think partially because I more than anyone. <laughs> I think when so. I single mom, I just feel like, do my kids know how much I was crying? <laughs> yeah, I tried to hide it. I didn't always hide it well, but I tried to hide it. Um, and it was just not easy. It was really not easy. And I think that's what started it all. And then I just kept going and survived for six years. And then I met my now husband. We've been married for almost five years now. So it's still kind of a new marriage, but um, we've been through a lot the past five years. And so when I met him, I was already overwhelmed being a single mom and doing all the things. And then my family immediately got a whole lot bigger. I (laughs) took on two daughters that weren't here all the time, but they're still part of my family. And then a husband and work and my daughter and the navigating the whole blended family aspect. And Mm -hmm. my daughter was with us the bulk of the time. She did go to see her dad every so often, but she was still with us the majority of the time. And so just navigating all of those things that go along with bringing a stepdad in, it's Mm -hmm. a lot. And I'm sure you, you know, you've been there. Mm Mm-hmm. We're even and the so same it, timeline. Bobby and I will be married. We are. It's yeah. like crazy how similar <laughs> we are. So bringing on all that extra family when I was already overwhelmed was a lot. And I was that much more overwhelmed. I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't know how to handle it. Even though I always thought I was organized, it became very clear that I wasn't. And I had no idea how to do anything is what it seemed like. Mm. And so that overwhelming feeling and not being able to manage my home and care for my kids and my husband and even myself, the way I knew I needed to was kind of what led me into all of this. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing some research. I love to research. So I researched and found some, some systems and routines to try to implement and see if it would help. And none of them worked. So I ended up just figuring it out on my own, but I at least had something to go off of. So now five years later, I have found some amazing systems and routines and just all sorts of different things that has helped me to eliminate that overwhelming feeling and manage life, but still enjoy it at the same time and not feel like I'm just bogged down by everything that I have to do. Even though I have a whole lot more on my plate, I enjoy it and I love it. Now you have two babies. You Mm -hmm. just started a podcast. We were just joking that some of the projects we're both working on, you almost have finished. So your systems must work. (laughs) They do. They work. You've had another baby and have done more since you had another (laughs) child and moved at the same time that I'm in all. No comparison. We're all different. (laughs) That's amazing though. I I love it. And I like to be busy, but not so busy where I can't enjoy anything. So I try to make sure my busyness is things that I enjoy. And if it's something I don't enjoy, like cleaning the house, I try to make it as enjoyable as possible. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a lot easier to do more 
but also being able to manage your time and not just kind of frantically going through your day, taking things as they come, you come at it at more of a offensive instead of a defensive, not to use sports analogies. I hate sports, but <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, if you come at it, at it more of an offensive mode, then you're not taking things as they come and trying to keep caught up with your day. You're ahead of everything. And then you end up having actually what seems like more time. We can't add hours to the day, but if you manage your time effectively, it seems like you've added multiple hours to the day. Mm -hmm. Well, and when you have a plan, you actually, it's actually shocking how quickly um, you can get, you can get things done. Exactly. Um, Well, and I just want to give a little bit more, um, I guess like backstory too, if you don't, wouldn't mind sharing about Georgia, what happened even before you had the new babies, because I have a lot of moms that are struggling with kids that have health issues and well, go ahead. And then I'll, I'll continue. Well, we have a lot of health issues in this house, unfortunately, but we've able to meet we had actually just gotten married and so we okay, I'm okay sorry. so I, I, i'm sorry john i gotta stop you for a second yeah. let's count to okay. five it glitched so i want to make okay. sure that they get it let's just count to five and then start yep. again at health issues in this house okay i didn't get that could you try again so We've had a lot of health issues in the house, but we've been able to navigate it well and with a positive attitude for what it is. When Georgia was six, I had just gotten married. We actually had our wedding, went on our, it was three or four days honeymoon. It was a short, small honeymoon because of budget. And we got back and that very next day was Monday. So I took her to school and I had my first day at my new job. I picked her up from school and she just was not normal. Normally we'd like run to the car and kind of race and just a fun, like, oh, I'm excited. Mom picked me up from school kind of thing. She was not like that. She was acting just off, extremely lethargic. And she just looked different. Just like something's wrong. So it's like, okay, let's go home. Let's just rest. And then by the time we actually got to the car, so this was only like two minutes. We were walking from the back of her, her kindergarten campus all the way to the car. And by the time we got to the car, it's like, something's really wrong here. And I had taken some some classes in the past when I was in college because I was going to go for human development. So I took some kids classes and I had studied diabetes, type 1 diabetes, but it was so long ago, I had forgotten all about it. But once I started putting the pieces together, I realized she's got type 1 diabetes symptoms. Like, what is going on? There's no way. And when you look at it in separate pieces, everything has a different reason. She's peeing a lot because she's drinking a lot of water. She's drinking a lot of water because it's summer in California. So we, were, we lived in California at the time and she's peeing the bed because she's been drinking so much water and she's so tired that she's sleeping too soundly to be able to wake up in the middle of the night. And so all these things had separately had different reasons. But when you put them all together, it's like, I think it's type one diabetes. Like this is this can't be happening. And so my husband was still at work because it was Monday and inside I'm like panicking. I don't know what's going on. We got to go to the doctor. And so we went, I called my husband and remember this is 
day one of getting back from our honeymoon. So we hadn't even settled back into the house yet. And so I called him. I was like, I'm taking her to the pediatrician. Something's wrong. And we walk in, I told them what was going on and we were there for five minutes. All they did was check her blood sugar and said, you have to go to chalk hospital. And so I'm like, at this point, I'm just bawling. I don't know what is going on. Like my whole life comes crashing down. I'm supposed to like be on my, my honeymoon. Like we just got back, but I'm supposed to still be in that frame of mind. And now everything is crashing down. And so I'm panicking inside, trying to keep it together for my little six-year-old who has no idea what's happening. So I drive to the house and I pack a few things for her, totally forget that I need to pack anything for myself. And my husband meets us there because he left work and we rode together to the hospital and I'm totally not with it. So he drove and we got there and we were there for over a week. Her blood sugar was through the roof. She was 536. And for those of you that don't know anything about diabetes, a normal blood sugar is between 70 and 120 maximum when you've had like a huge meal of carbs. And she was 536. The doctors were shocked that she was even functioning. Oh, So we were, I, I was supposed to be spending this week learning at my new job. I had just had my day one there. So I called and was like, I'm not coming to work. I don't know when I'm going to be back. And mm-hmm. thankfully everybody was wonderful. And I had my job when we were, when everything was back to our new normal, but it really, we had to get a whole new normal. So I was that much more overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do, how to handle things. Like I have no idea how to count carbs. I've never had to worry about that in my life. Like I know like we have to watch this and watch that and be careful and combine different foods so your body can utilize everything well. But as far as actually counting carbs so she can get the correct amount of insulin, I didn't know what to do. So that was, we're still adjusting to all that. And it's been years. I mean, she's 10 now and this happened when she was six. So we're still adjusting because I feel like every day it's something different, especially with a kid that young, like all their hormones are just going crazy and haywire at this age. And it's, not easy, but because I went through all this, it's actually brought me to where I am now. And life can get derailed like crazy, especially in a situation like that. But if you can just keep her calm or have somebody who can help keep you calm, like my husband was the one who kind of helped rein me in when I felt like I was just spiraling at that moment. Um, It was it made it a little easier and it made it a little easier to learn how to function in that new normal. Um, but a lot of things got left. A lot of balls got dropped. Um, but we had a community and people around to help us. I didn't pack anything for myself for the hospital. So my mother-in-law went over to her house and I told her where some stuff was because everything was nice and organized in the closet. <laughs> so she grabbed me underwear and socks and a change of clothes and all the essentials, you know, and brought that to the hospital. So that was, I I just appreciate you saying that because anyone who knows a friend who has a a child with type one, it explains the overwhelm even more because Mm -hmm. so many more things affect them than just what they eat or just what they consume. And so you kind of have to always be on your toes. So I think that's, (laughs) I think that that is such a, a testament to you combating the overwhelm because it has to be so, and you're worried a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. 
I, when I wake up, even to this day, four years later, if I wake up in the middle of the night, which I do, cause I have a baby and I have to nurse now, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll still check my phone. She has a thing called the Dexcom. It's a continuous glucose monitor. So it reads her number and it syncs to my phone so I can look at her number. And so I'll check it every time I wake up. Is she good? Do we need to give a little extra insulin? Is she too low? Is she too high? I'm constantly thinking through it. And I think even when she's grown and out of the house, it's always going to be on my mind. You know, she's my child and I care. Mm-hmm. But over the four years, I've learned how to, instead of letting it dominate my thoughts, I've learned how to kind of compartmentalize that. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it just takes over. Well, and that's what I was, that's what I was thinking when you were saying about being offensive with your time is that especially in kind of a constant state of emergency zone, when you have a child that struggles with something, Mm -hmm. um, being offensive is kind of the thing that comes to mind. You kind of have to, but we all do for other reasons. So what are, what are your, do you want to get into the tips? Yep. So, um, it's important to be on that offensive, especially when big things, whether actually big or small, and it could be good or bad. You could have some big thing that happens. That's actually a really good thing. Like having a baby, that's a great thing, but it's definitely a major life altering situation. Mm -hmm. And yes, you have time to prepare, but you're never fully prepared for a new baby entering your home. You don't know what the baby's going to need. Exactly. They're all different. You don't know what they're going to need or if they're going to like this or like that, because they could be totally different than the baby you just had. And my boys are definitely total opposites. So it was a whole learning curve, even though I just had one because they're only 21 months apart. It was a big learning curve with both of them. I have a friend that says, my baby didn't read the same parenting books that I did. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to steal that one. (laughs) So true. I think tip one would have to, and this is more on the offensive. I have a few for the defensive because you're not always going to be on the offensive. Life happens and sometimes you're not prepared. So I have a few on both sides of it. The first tip I would have is just to get ahead of the game by having a flexible schedule in place with consistent routines. If you have routines in place just for normal daily tasks like laundry, your dishes, Um, if you are working, have your routines for the basic work tasks that you have and have those routines and do the same thing every day. And if you don't like being in the same routines every day, if you want to switch things up a bit, that's okay, but at least be consistent in that. So that way your brain can function in a lot higher capacity. Because if you're doing something different all the time and constantly switching, your brain is going to constantly be on the defensive mode. It can't catch up because you're trying to do all these things and your brain's like, wait, wait, what's happening now? And it doesn't know what's going on. So if you have the consistent routines in place, it's a lot easier to be ahead of the game. And then having that flexible schedule, you have a schedule in place, but if it's flexible, you can kind of move with what happens throughout the day instead of being on that rigid time frame like oh nope we need to leave in two minutes let's go with that flexible schedule you can have some gaps in there for leeway Mm -hmm. and then when you have everything in place you're much more prepared when that unexpected thing happens and then it kind of goes along with that but tip two would be get your family on board with those routines Mm -hmm. especially when something unexpected happens you probably aren't going to be able to be the one that does those routines 
make sure people in your family are on board and know how those routines are happening. Like with laundry or dishes, what are your routines with that? And make sure they're on board with it. So if you can't take care of it, somebody can. Mm -hmm. And then don't leave your task list in your head. Don't have everything just running through your brain because the moment something unexpected happens, all that's going to leave. It's going to be shoved into the back and you're not going to be able to remember a thing. So if you have it organized on paper, not just like a to-do list that's just this running long five-page list of things that you have to get done, actually organized, then when that unexpected things happens, you can go to that and you don't have to work your brain a little harder to figure out what you need to do. You can go to the section that you want to work on on that task list and get that done. Typically, your brain's not functioning at its optimum capacity when the big things and unexpected things happen. So if you have all your routines and your tasks out of your head and organized, then you don't really have to worry about trying to remember all the things that you need to get done when you're all frantic. And now if you can't be on that offensive zone, then you're obviously going to be defensive. The first thing that you need to do is just breathe. I like the adaptive oil for this one. You're the one who turned me on to that. (laughs) You just... Just sit there and try to quiet all the noise around you and just take a breath. Like going back to when my daughter was diagnosed with diabetes, I didn't know all these tips back then, but if I had, I would have just sat and taken a breath and tried to calm myself down because I was so frantic inside. I couldn't even control the tears. I was having a hard time breathing, almost like a panic attack. And if I would have known some of these tips that I do now, I would have been able to handle the whole situation and been there for my daughter in a better way than what I actually was. And she doesn't even remember anything about it. Like the whole, I don't think mentally she was there. I mean, her blood sugar was so high, but yeah, still like I would have been able to be more of that support that she needed in the time if I wasn't so frantic inside. So if you just take a breath, and pause try to focus your mind and remember you can't control what's happening whatever it is that's going on you don't have control over it so think about what you can control and just get a piece of paper and a pencil out write out what you do have control of it'll help you focus on the things that you can do something about instead of feeling overwhelmed and defeated by everything that you can't control absolutely i love that and then Focus on the most important task. So as you're writing out the things that you can control, focus on the most important thing of those. So what can you control and what can you do right now? I think a big thing with that is delegation. So as you're looking over that list, what can you delegate? What can you give to somebody else to do? So you can focus on what you really need to focus on there. Like I had my mother-in-law go get things for me to bring to the hospital because I didn't want to leave Georgia. So I delegated that task so that I could be there and be the support role that I needed to be. And in your, if you're in a derailment situation, it's even more important than just in a normal daily life because you need to delegate in normal daily life too. So you can actually function and do the things that only you can do. But life still needs to happen when you're in that derailment situation. So if you delegate all of that out, that can be delegated, then you're going to be able to focus a whole lot more and deal with that overwhelming feeling a whole lot better. 
And I think a big thing that goes right along with that is having that community. How can you delegate if you don't have the community? Mm-hmm. So like if you don't have, say I didn't have my mother-in-law there. I do have friends from the church. I could have called somebody from the church and said, hey, I hid my key here. Can you please go and get this for me and get that for me and bring it over to the hospital? And I would have had multiple people I could call because I had that community built up. And you also need somebody like, what if you had a baby and you're there at the hospital and you have other kids, you need a community, somebody to help you babysit your kid or set up a meal train so you don't have to cook. Just all the the help that you can delegate out to people who actually want to help. Like if you have that community set up, people want to help you. They care about you and all, they're, all they want is just for you to ask for them to help and they're more than willing. And I think the last thing is to have grace for yourself and for your family. When life gets derailed, it can happen for any number of situations, whether good or bad, big or small. The important thing is to just remember to try to enjoy some of those moments too. I think some of the best things, as I look back to that time in the hospital, which was probably the most difficult time, and I've been through a lot in my life, but that week in the hospital with Georgia was probably the most difficult thing that I've ever been through. And because everything else was to me, like, this is my child and I can't do anything about about what she's going through. And they're constantly coming in and and pricking her fingers and giving her shots and just watching your child go through that is just horrific. And I couldn't do anything about it, but I could be there for her. And I think the best things that happened that entire time was the moments that we were just sitting there laughing, like forgetting about what was going on around us, but just making jokes. And the nurse brought in a doc, uh, like a little doctor doll that she could play with and practice giving shots to. And we turned it into a game and it just, it was fun. And we were laughing and enjoying those moments in the hospital. And we both remember that she doesn't remember much, but she remembers those fun moments. So give yourself grace Everybody around you is going through the same thing. They may, it may affect them a little differently, but they're going through the same thing. Emotions are probably running high. So if you can just stay calm and patient and present, know that this is going to pass. This is going to pass. You're going to be stronger for it. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember those moments that you can just enjoy. Oh, I love that. So good. And you will be given that grace. You don't even have to muster mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you'll be given exactly. It. Exactly. Um, Anytime that I actually did the right thing and did breathing instead of losing it, I knew that it was God's grace. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think what really got me through, not just that time when Georgia was diagnosed, but a lot of other things in my life is just being in that constant communication with God. He's definitely the reason I got through a lot of different situations in my life. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love how you tied that back with that specific example, because um, hopefully, you know, people have not had to deal with a sick child or, but they've experienced something. And when you do these on a small scale in your day, when the milk is spilled or when the dog gets out or um, your brain does go into kind of autopilot, even in a bigger emergency zone. And so it's really good to practice and also to model um, exactly. because when we lose it to our kids, they learn to lose it. And, and it's, um, 
self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit, right? I mean, exactly. it's, it's great to, to practice. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, a silly example, but it reminds me of like Georgia and then James. So Georgia's the 10 year old. James is the two year old. <laughs> when Georgia gets frustrated, I mean, she's a 10 year old and she's in that hormonal stage. Sometimes when she gets frustrated, it's over the smallest things and she'll, she'll like do this grunt, like she's a frustrated grunt. And it's really annoying. And we tell her every time, like, you don't need to do that. <laughs> Use your words. And then she did it in front of James one day. And now he does it. <laughs> but before, even if he was frustrated, he would just like throw up his hands ah, and then go on to something else or try to fix it. But now the moment something happens that he gets a little frustrated on, he does this grunt, like just like Georgia does. And it's funny, but it's also like, oh my gosh, like they see it. And so all the more like me as a mom, if I do something like that, my kids are going to see it and they're going to start modeling it. So mm-hmm. if I can keep my calm and even if I'm just having a really hard moment, and I need to pause and just pray for a minute so I can get my composure. They're going to see that and they're going to see how they need to handle in those kind of situations. Yeah. Mine was, are you kidding me? That's what I taught my kids <laughs> to say. So everyone was, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm like. I love sorry I love when your kids open their mouth and you come out right it's like oh "Oh." yes (laughs) Uh, those are so helpful thank you and they're and they're like something that we kind of know to do but um not really it doesn't come naturally necessarily it doesn't you have to retrain your mind it's definitely not natural no matter how great somebody is at it they probably had to learn it. I highly doubt it didn't, it came natural. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're developing the culture of your home too. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, if you start to, if you kind of break that seal where you are yelling or swearing or carrying on, it continues. And so exactly to, to create that culture of calm instead of, um, letting your, I mean, it's ultimately your sinful nature, you know, it feels yeah. good to yell or to swear or to freak it out. Does. And it feels good in the moment, but then you've got to go apologize to everyone in the house. And, <laughs> and <laughs> those apologizing moments, it's a lesson for everybody. <laughs> and of course there's grace because we all do those mm-hmm. bad times too, but they're very, very great to train your brain and your, and your whole culture of your home. Exactly. So tell them where to find you, tell them some projects that you're working on now that they can connect with you. Yeah, I have a Facebook community, facebook.com slash groups slash restored mama. And you can connect with me through email at restored mama podcast at gmail.com. And you can find me on any major podcast platform, just search restored mama, and I will pop up. I'm working on, I'm currently working on a course. It's not finished yet. I'm about halfway done. About two more weeks. I'm planning on launching it two to three weeks. I'm going to give myself a little grace period there. (laughs) And it's called ditch the overwhelm. So you can find it online. I have a sales page. And I can link it in the show notes too. Yeah. If you could just link it in the show notes. Like I said, I'm not fully up there yet so I can't remember the link that's okay yeah we'll but, we'll link it by the time this episode yeah. comes out we'll have it there for them 
Awesome. And what and so, what all will that walk them through? Um, it'll it's a seven step process to walk you through time management from a biblical perspective for your house. And the first module actually goes through setting up a routine for your time with Jesus. That is the top priority. You could have all the time management things in place. And if you're not consistent in your time with God, it's not going to help your mind at all. And you'll still end up feeling overwhelmed no matter what your time management systems and routines are. And then we go through and we set up a flexible daily schedule. It's a um, self-paced course. You can always get coaching with me if you'd like, if you want some one-on-one help, I'm there and available, but it is a self-paced course. So you can go through it at whatever time frame works best for you. And seven steps in, you should have a good daily flexible schedule to work through and some routine set. So that way, when those crazy things happen in life, you're not thrown to the wayside and feel like everything is falling to pieces because you have those routines and the systems in place. Awesome. Well, we will link all of the things and, um, and you're going to come on more often. We're going to, yeah, I hope so. From Jen. Yeah. Because it's just, as we go forward, I just think us like-minded mamas need to stick together. And it's so encouraging to hear really like over overcoming a lot of that over overcoming mm-hmm. the overwhelm, but also a lot of what life is thrown at you. So thank you for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. It was fun. Thanks. Bye. Bye.